Good evening. My name is Alice, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, welcome to the newcomers, Tim, and I, your name is different. Welcome, and welcome, Joe, from out of town, and the birthday people, Josh, Joe, and not Walter, Walter. Happy birthday. And uh, to the people in Zoom, there you go. Hi, how are you doing? Um, tell you a little bit about myself. My sobriety date is February 3rd, 2003. My story is not very interesting. I'm only a kitchen drunk. There was no DUIs, there was no handcuffs. Uh, there was no judge, no courts, um, no altercations, no, you know, ultimatums. I was just a tradition three kind of girl. I just had a desire to stop drinking. I do have a sponsor. She has 35 years and my sponsor has a sponsor who has 43 years. Um, alcoholism, I believe, runs in my family. My great grandfathers, both of them, um, from what I understand, were alcoholics and they committed suicide. My grandfather on my mother's side, um, he committed suicide. And my mother went in to find him with his head in the oven. She found him dead with his head in the oven. The other one blew his brains out in the park. On my, um, my grandfather, my mother's father committed suicide. She said he was an alcoholic. Skip my mother. My mother only had one sister and she died as a direct result of alcoholism. And I watched that one and that was pretty scary. Um, I'm the only sober alcoholic out of seven brothers and sisters, but I do have nieces and nephews and a couple of them are sober, but a few of them are in their disease. So for me, I felt like I was born with a big red button right here in my chest waiting to be activated. Um, my first drink, I got drunk. And every drink after that, I got drunk. I never, I'm one of those, I never had ever one drink ever. It was always drinking and I got drunk. So when I was 13, girlfriend and I took whatever we could find in the refrigerator, beer, wine, went up to my bedroom, got drunk. My mom came up the next morning, found the empty bottles and cans on the floor. And, you know, I, I think I said, I'll never do that again. And sure enough, did. Um, high school was nothing eventful. I was just that teenager who drank like all the other teenagers went to parties. I'd get so drunk you know being out on that wet cool grass and it felt so good <laughs> oh and the next morning dying and saying I'm never going to do that again only to be drinking again every weekend went off to college same thing in the dorms with my roommates we drank um, nothing bad happened I just always felt so lousy afterwards Boy meets girl, I marry a man who he drank the way I drank. Nothing again, really bad happened. I just always felt lousy, knew I drank too much, um, didn't feel healthy. When I was 28 years old, you know, my husband and I decided let's have kids. So the minute I decided to go off the pill and we were gonna try, I stopped drinking. And so I did that with the first pregnancy. I did not drink at all during those nine months, but as soon as the baby was born, I was right on back to drinking. Um, same thing with my daughters, my second child. The minute we decided to try again to have kids, I stopped drinking, baby was born, right back on. So therefore, I was not an alcoholic. But if you read on page 32, 
it says, even though some of us were showing very uh, definite signs of alcoholism, we were able to stop if the motivation was great enough. But look up that paragraph. It's on the left-hand side, first paragraph down. And that's exactly me when I read that. I, I was showing definite signs of alcoholism. It was after my kids were born, um, the alcoholism was still going, but it really, it was May 1st, 1995. I was 32 years old and my son was diagnosed with autism. And that same week, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer and she was given six months to a year to get her things in order. And um, that big red button, boom, it was on. That was, my alcoholism was fully activated at that time. I'm a teacher and I've been teaching for 32 years. And at that time um, I would go to school and be working and be fine. But the minute I got in the car, my world was spinning. And I was thinking as I was driving home, what do I have to drink? Is there enough to drink tonight? And I would have to, in my mind, think, oh, there's only a couple of bottles of wine. I better stop at the grocery store and pick up whatever it is because I'm going to need more. And that's what happened is um, from 32 till about 38, 39, it was always making sure I had enough alcohol once I got home. I was a good alcoholic. I was a kitchen drunk. I didn't go to bars. I didn't go out drinking. I, there was, I didn't get in the car. So I made sure there was enough alcohol at home. So I was, my house was in order. I made dinner. I put the kids in the bath, helped them with their homework, put them to bed. And then I was drinking until I, I just needed that flat, flat line. Um, it was around that time too. I was watching all those movies, clean and sober, 28 days about Sandra Bullock passing out at that wedding and having to be carried out. And um, when a man loves a woman and I was drinking my wine, watching the movies, is this me, is that me? And uh, also uh, Survivor came out in 2000. And I was just amazed by that show. I loved watching Survivor each week, but it was probably around day 23, day 25, you know, and they're on that island for 40 days. And they finally got some kind of um, uh, a, a reward and they got like a bag of rice and some food and two bottles of wine. And that's why I said, two bottles of wine is not enough. And, then, and they were like taking sips and passing it. And that's when I went, oh, no, 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 no. I couldn't do that. Like the idea of not on that island for 40 days, but if you could only have a couple of sips, <laughs> I realized then my thinking was off. Typical drinkers do not think that way. And also around that time, um, my daughter, I was taking her to Brownie camp or Girl Scout camp. And we were going to be gone for three days, Friday through Sunday. And a good mother does not put her vodka bottle in the suitcase when she's taking her girl. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do that? for three? And I white knuckled it that weekend. It was the most difficult weekend, but the minute I came home, I remember going to the refrigerator in the garage, opening the garage and I, my Smirnoff, <laughs> pop that, drank a few of them. And just that, that ease coming over me of drinking a couple of those that I, I needed that um, drink. I was very lucky um, in the years from really 
from 30 until I got sober from, because I got sober at age 39. In those nine years that my drinking really was bad, I had some sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous in my life. They did not give me a big book. They didn't give me a 12 and 12. They didn't point out the literature that was over there or give me any, um, you know, share with me their experience, strength and hope. They were just happy, joyous and free. And they never told me they were in the program or they were alcoholics. Someone else broke their anonymity and I watched them and I was in amazement by them. Um, first one was a, a lady, it was actually two ladies that were at a party and we, they were wives of the husbands and I would always see them. And Louise is one of them and I think she just celebrated 50 years of sobriety. She's still a very good friend of mine. Another one was a soccer mom. I used to take my daughter to soccer practice and I would bring my um, beach chair with my big tumbler full of vodka because it was four o'clock and that's when I started to drink and I had to have it. And so I'd be sitting there, you know, all the parents are lined up watching the kids play soccer practices. And one lady came in, her name was Mary. And Mary's like, hi, how you doing? Hi, oh God, you look so great. I love your shoes. Hi, oh, new hair. She was happy, she was joyful. She was have every practice. And one time she came in and I just looked at her and I looked at the lady next to me and I said, okay, what's the story with Mary? She said, oh, Mary, she's an alcoholic. She doesn't drink, she's found God. <laughs> Mary's daughter was on my daughter's soccer team for the next five years. <laughs> and I watched Mary and her husband. They were a sober uh, couple that met in rehab. And, and I watched Mary and I used to think, how does she show up to all these parties and she's happy and everyone's drinking and then she leaves. So she was one of the sober members. And there was also another... Um, Sober member, I've been putting on, I've got my timer right here, folks. So I have another um, sober member and he was uh, a neighbor and I lived in a condominium complex and he lived across in the other building, but his car was right in front of where I was. And um, you know, those mornings when you wake up and you're so sick, you have to get out of bed and drink your coffee. And, you know, before the husband got up and I would see him get in his car and drive off like at 5.45 in the morning and then come back at 7.30 in the morning. And this happened month after month. And I thought, where's this guy going? Is he going to get drugs? He's not going to the gym because he has jeans on. Where's this guy going every morning? Come to find out he um, was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and he was going to 6 a.m. attitude modification meeting in Tustin, which became my home group. And um, someone broke his anonymity and told me about him. And then one time he and my husband got in an altercation and they had words. There was some profanity. And um, a couple hours later, there was a knock on the door and it was Scott. And Scott asked if he could talk to my husband. And he came up and I watched him make an amends to my husband. And I remember thinking, holy moly, they really do that stuff. It's not just on Seinfeld. I'm like, they really make amends. This is kind of crazy. And, and I saw him do the whole thing. So Scott is a good friend and I asked him to come tonight and he couldn't, he already had plans. But anyway, I was 39 years old. I'm now realizing my drinking has gotten really bad. I was not the mother I intended to be. I have a son with autism. 
my husband was drinking as much as I was drinking and one of us had to get sober. We both, I mean, I was really mad when he got to lay down and pass out and when I really wanted to, and I had to hold it together. So um, I kept on trying to figure out how can I go to rehab? How can I do this? And God does for me what I could not do for myself. I had to have surgery, which required me to be in the hospital for a couple of days and then be home for six weeks on bed rest. And um, the doctor told me that I could not drink the night before surgery. And so, you know, being the good liar that I am, the alcoholic, I said, oh, I only drink two glasses of wine a week. That's it. And I was completely polluted. I was 200 pounds, bloated. I was a mess. And I really didn't think I was going to make it out of the surgery. So the day before surgery, you know, they tell you not to drink. And it was four o'clock, the drinking hour. And I thought, how am I going to do this? And I was in my son's room. And I remember thinking, and I didn't think I said it. I said, God help me. I can't do this anymore. And that was my surrender. And it was my step one, two, and three right there that minute. So I had surgery the next day. I was surprised when I woke up the next morning and I came to. I wasn't sure I was going to live because I was so polluted. Came home. My husband um, was making me dinner. And he would say, you know, Alice, do you want a glass of wine? And I said, no. And I went, who said that? Like, <laughs> sure enough, the next couple of nights, every time he was bringing me dinner because I was on bed rest, he would say, would you like a glass of wine? And I said, no. And I had never turned down a glass of wine. It was the first time I did not. And that's truly that obsession was lifted. And I don't even understand. So after two weeks, when the doctor did give me permission to drive, I knew that I was going to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I knew where to go because in the register, in the accent section, on page four, on Saturday mornings, there was a little box right there that had monthly meetings or meetings. And there was like Overeaters Anonymous and smoking, how to quit smoking. And there was an AA meeting, NA meeting, and probably a Weight Watcher meeting. I knew the meeting was in Old Town Tustin on Main Street. It was called Brown Baggers, and they met at noon. And that's, that's the only meeting I knew about. And so I went, that's the meeting I'm going to. So I sat my husband down that night because I knew I could drive the next day. And I said, I'm an alcoholic and I, got, I can't stop drinking and I'm going to my first AA meeting tomorrow. And he said, you're not that bad. You're <laughs> fine. You just need to dry out a little bit, you know, exercise, drink more water. And I said, no. And we went on for about two hours. And when I finally said, I'm an alcoholic, he said, oh shit, you're going to become one of them. <laughs> and I knew kind of at that point, our marriage probably wasn't going to make it. But I went to my first AA meeting, I got all dressed up, and I knew where to go, and I got there early, and it was a room about this size, and there was only two people in, and I walked in, and I said, hi, is this where the AA meeting is? And the man in the far corner over there said, are you an alcoholic? Uh, yeah. He said, what did you drink? Vodka. And he said, come over here and sit next to me. And so that was Earl White. And he had like 35 years and became my friend. And that was my meeting. I knew about this noon meeting. That was the only meeting I knew about. So that was where I went on the, the time that I was there. And on my probably third or fourth meeting, something bad happened with my husband. I came to the meeting crying and I was saying how I was afraid to go home. And after the meeting, a woman came up to me and she said, here's my card. Here's my phone number. My address is right there. Do you have kids? 
And I said, yeah, she goes, go pick up the kids. You can stay with me tonight. And I said, no, no, I, I'm okay. And she said, no, you, you get your kids. Come stay at my house. If you're afraid of your husband, I don't want you to be afraid. Come stay with me. And I said, no, I'm going to be okay. But in my head, I was thinking, who are these people? Who, are these? who does that? And I realized in AA, this is what people do. They help the newcomer and they help someone who's in trouble. And they helped this woman. She was as nice as can be. She helped me in that way. And then another week later, a very nice man named Johnny Bates came up to me and he identifies and that's why I said his last name. But he came up to me and said, you seem like a very nice girl. You know, find a woman's meeting, get a sponsor, get a commitment, um, you know, get involved, get a phone list and watch out for the 13th step. And then he kept on saying a few more things. And I said, Step. I don't remember. <laughs> There's only 12 on there. And I was so confused for the longest time. But I, I got very involved in AA and I was on the pink cloud and life was very good. I went camping for the first time, probably with eight weeks of sobriety. And you know how when you pull into the campsite and the men pull that ice chest out and it goes down and they grab it and put that sound that. And that's when I said, I got to make a phone call and I, and the value of the phone list and having people in there, because I knew that if I'm not around a meeting or other alcoholics, they're a phone call away and I could call them at six months of sobriety. I was going to Yosemite. Oh my God, I forgot this timer. And I had shared that um, I was going and I was nervous about being a whole week in Yosemite. And they said, well, they have meetings. You know, so when you go up there, find out there's going to be an AA meeting in Yosemite. And I'm like, great. So it was Thursday night. They have them two nights in Yosemite, Tuesday and Thursday nights. I know this because I go all the time. It was Thursday night, seven o'clock. So after dinner, I got on my bike and I rode my little bike and uh, went across the bridge, found the AA meeting. And I walked in. There was four people in this AA meeting. There was the ranger who works in the valley, a lady who was camping. And a man from my 6 a.m., he had gone camping with his Boy Scouts, and he knew I was going to be there and that I was having a hard time. So he told his scoutmaster who he was camping with, and he said, I need to go to this AA meeting in the valley 60 miles away from my friend. And he drove 60 miles through Yosemite so he could be at a meeting with me. And this is the things people in Alcoholics Anonymous do for newcomers. So um, moving on, I... Uh, about 18 months, um, my father is 84 years old and he was walking home uh, in Oregon. And as he's walking, he got hit by a car that was going 70 miles an hour and he was broken from head to toe and airlifted up to Portland. And I went up to Portland and um, we weren't sure if he was gonna live or die. And this went on for many months. And so I would pray one day, dear God, help me um, take him, just take his life. I just don't want him to suffer. And then the next day I would be praying, God, save him, save him, do whatever you can. And then I would pray, take him. And he just went back and forth. And that difficulty in praying, what I've learned is I no longer pray for my wants and desires, but I pray for God's will and understanding and acceptance of his will. And I also learned at that time that I need to pray for the doctors and nurses and elderly, that God uses them as instruments of his peace and to whoever comes in contact with my dad to bless these people. And so I've learned about the prayer during that time. Um, around two years, three years, 
I was in gardening a lot, you know, that would be kind of my meditation and quiet time. My husband would be um, mowing the lawn and trimming um, the shrubs and things. And so uh, I would be, he gave me my job that I had to get into the soil and break up the soil. And, and I had two buckets, one for the rocks and one for the weeds. So my job was to go in all the shrubs and clean it up and do everything. So I would go in and throw all the rocks would build in there and all the, and this one week after week after week. And, and every Saturday I was amazed more and more rocks would come, even though I cleared all the rocks the Saturday before there was more rocks and this happened. And finally I said to my husband, how come I clear out all the rocks? Cause we put this really great soil in that all these rocks come up and he had to give me a little geology lesson that, um, you know, the earth, the rocks are down low and the earth vibrations bring them up to the surface. And that's when you have to clear them out, but doesn't matter. They're still down there. They're still going to slowly, he's saying, no, no, this is what he told me. Uh, yeah, you're funny. So uh, every week when I was doing this, it started hitting me because I was working on my four step is they're just like resentments, just like geology, you open up these rocks and you cut them in half and you classify them and you look at them and you, some of them are granite or some of them are that and you classify them. And that's what really happened to me is I, I realized when I was gardening and doing things was my best thinking with God and when things that were down there. And the very first time you do your fourth step, you're going to clear it out as best as you can. But again, over time with their lives are going to happen and these resentments are going to come up. So I did my fourth and fifth step with my sponsor, which helped me so much because then I learned about my, my character defects and the things I had to work on. And with those character defects of being a better person, it helped me then to make up my list of my step eight and nine of all the people I had to make amends to. And I started to make all my amends. Well, what happens when you make amends and you, you, you've been working on your six and seven is you start getting a self-esteem. And that's what happened to me right around year three and four. Alice got a self-esteem and she started to like herself and um, get more confident. And what I realized is uh, a whole bunch of new rocks were coming up and this bucket was getting filled and all these rocks were having to do with my then husband. Because the first time I did my fourth step, he didn't make really that resentment list. Because what I found out is you cannot have a resentment for a person if you don't have the self-esteem. You basically think that's what you deserve. That I'm going to say that again. You cannot have a resentment for a person if you don't have self-esteem. And that's why some people, after they get sober many years, a whole bunch of rocks come up that they didn't know because they're feeling better about themselves. So it was around year four and a half, five, that I really realized God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And I inserted his name, courage to change the things I can, Alice, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I realized he's not going to change. I can change me and where I live. And so um, the girl who at that time, she was only five years sober, had the courage to leave a marriage. And I don't know how she ever had that courage because she was such a scared and frightened girl. And I don't know who she is because I've had a couple of transformations since then, but I bless that sweet, sweet girl. 
at age 45 who had the courage to leave and start a new life. Because even though um, some people had said, um, I had never tried suicide, but I probably would have died because he was killing my soul. My soul was dying being in that marriage. In 2008, how much more time do I have? In 2008, the, oh, I've got a few more minutes. 2008, the movie Bucket List came out. And um, that's when it's about two guys who have brain tumors and they're gonna die. And so let's make a list of all the fun things you need to do. My sponsor at that time, we went and saw that movie and she said, Alice, you need to make a bucket list. And I said, okay. And then I was done. I said, here's my list and said, do yoga, go to lunch, go to the, <laughs> so pathetic. And she said, go make a real list and don't even show me it until you have something that's really, I mean, come on. So I did make a bucket list and there were some big things. And um, one of them was to get a master's degree. I, I'm a PE teacher and I became a PE teacher because I'm successful on the playground. I'm not very smart in classroom. Um, so I never thought I would get a master's degree because I was always told I was dumb growing. I don't know how I got through high school and college because I never really applied myself. So I put master's degree. I said, run a marathon, climb half dome, um, you know, travel. And I named some places. Well, in 2013, I signed up and got in the lottery for the New York marathon. That same week I got accepted to do a master's degree. And when I did those two things, and they were both done, I think I finished, you know, the marathon in one day, but the master's took a little bit longer. But it was really completing those two things that I realized I can do just about anything in my life. That I'm, that I can do anything. If you run a, a marathon, you can do anything, and especially master's degree. And then I ended up climbing Half Dome, which is in Yosemite, and I've done it twice. But what also happened around 2013, which I'm going to share, is I had something very, 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 very um, tragic happen in my life. Um, it, it still is painful to this day, and I can't because I'll start crying. I don't want to share too much about it. But it became so painful that I couldn't go to AA meetings because there's something about when you walk in a meeting, your heart opens up, and I'm a crier. And uh, there's a few people who know me from my um, – Canyon Club, 7 a.m. is my home group, and I cry a lot in that meeting. And so, yeah, Tom was saying. And um, I, I would cry at every meeting, and, and I just didn't want to share what happened because it was so painful. And as much as we heard at the beginning of the meeting, what is shared here stays here, I would love for that to always be true, but it's not. It's people talk. And so there's some things that happen that aren't meant for the group, that it's meant only for uh, your your sponsor, a therapist, and very, very trusted dear friends, and that's it. So um, because this was so painful for me, I stopped going to AA meetings. And I would never, ever suggest that. Um, it was just what I had to do to grieve um, privately. I stayed close with my sponsor, and I had a therapist um, once a week. We went to twice a week, and I really I promote outside help. Um, that I've been with my therapist now for 14 years. Oh my gosh, 14 years. And um, so because of that, I stopped going to AA. But from 2013 to 2020, um, there was great things. I was creating this really wonderful life and life was going on. And I had great friends and doing you know more things on my bucket list. And then 2020 hit March 
and the COVID lockdown. I was living alone. I wasn't dating anyone. Um, I was uh, like three weeks alone in the house. And that's when I said, uh-oh, I need to get back to AA. So I decided if I'm going to get on any Zoom, I'm going to do the Canyon Club 7 a.m. Zoom. And that became um, my little meeting. And I would get on, and I'm looking at the Zoom right now, you guys. And I'd get on in the morning and everyone was saying hi to each other. And I was kind of like, hi, and no one was saying hi to me. And so finally, after three or four days of being on Zoom, I finally raised my hand and I said, hi, I'm Alice. I'm an alcoholic. I'm not new to this program, but I'm new to this meeting. And I really want you to be friends. So when you guys see me on Zoom, please say hi to me. And I, that's all I said. And that's what I recommend to any newcomer. We're not going to get to know you unless you share. And sometimes the first thing you have to just say is say, hi, I'm new here. And I want, I, I really want to get to know you. So, um, and that's what I did. And so that group became my group and I got in with them. The COVID um, during that 2020, it was probably um, so terrible for so many people. But for me, it was a really great time because I was alone. That's when my 10th step um, became, well, I did always, I've always done a really good 10th step. But during that time, even that negative thinking, I had to go over my thinking on a daily basis of how I was doing. But also step 11 with my prayer and meditation, being with God became so ingrained because as many, I have 19 years now, it was really only until 2020, 2020 did I ever live life one day at a time. I think 2020 really truly taught me, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. No one knew what they were doing the next day. As much as you thought something was gonna happen, I learned very quickly, I do not know anything. And so I learned um, living it one day at a time. And um, it was during that time that also um, some 12 step action really came in more. I started sponsoring women who wanted to get sober during COVID. Right now I'm sobering, I'm sponsoring five women. Um, all of them were getting sober over COVID from 2020. So it's, it's taking people who were in the midst of something very, very bad going in there. Um, I am gonna share something that happened during also COVID. I, I like, do I share it about or not? It was such a bad year and um, I was watching a news program and it was April that I saw a man saying he was gonna die of um, kidney failure because they weren't doing kidney transplants. And there's this whole news thing. And I remember I said it out loud, I could do that. And I heard the voice of God saying, yes, Alice, yes, you can. So I started the process to find out if I could be a kidney donor and, trans and donate my spare. And it took many months, but in January, of 2021, I donated to a complete stranger, a man I do not know. I didn't know anything about him. Um, people said, aren't you afraid? What if this guy's a loser and he, you know, <laughs> he does drugs or drinks? And I went, you know, this is God's deal, not mine. This is up to him. And I'm just being an instrument of someone's peace. Ended up, I got to know the guy and he's a really nice man. He's a father and a husband and a grandfather. And, um, He's doing really, really well. We talk often. And so that, um, one, our bodies do heal um, when we stop drinking and we do get better. But also, I feel such a closer connection with God since I've done this. And I have a newfound peace 
about myself that even some family and friends say, Alice, you seem different. And I, I am different since I donated. Um, I am sponsoring women. I'm living in Laguna Beach right now. Um, my life is really great and it's wonderful. And the main thing that I think I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I know there's some women in the program and they're like, I'm hot for AA and they just go on. I have a quiet passion. <laughs> I do. And um, so when I go to my morning meeting, it is, I go prior to going to work and I ask God, you know, God, how are you going to use me as an instrument of your peace? And it's not always to help the people in these rooms, but to share the message of being a walking big book for the people who are not in the rooms and that I'm a school teacher. And so there's lots of people outside of AA. And so I don't tell, I don't break my anonymity, but somehow it comes up and they know a little bit about me. And then I share a little bit, but sometimes it's just being kind. Um, and, and I love doing that 12 step work. The main thing is I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love, um, God that he gave me and I'm going to end and close with this. Um, do you guys like Van Morrison? I love Van Morrison. And so on, uh, his, um, sunset, I lost it, but anyway, a song, most people think the song is a love song between a man and a woman, it's not. It's a love song between man and God. And it says, have I ever told you, have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one above you? You fill my heart with gladness. Take away my sadness, ease my troubles. That's what you do. And so Van Mar it's, it's Avalon Sunset is the album, but it's have I told you. And that's how it is with my God and my understanding. He fills my heart with gladness takes away my sadness and he eases my trouble. And I thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous and I thank Alcoholics Anonymous for giving my, my God. I'm Alice and I'm an alcoholic.